right. Well, good morning, church. Man, I tell you what, it is a good morning. I'm joy-filled, and I uh, hope you are too, just hearing testimony. What a wonderful morning, uh, singing songs of praise as we think about the fact that we've been adopted as sons and daughters by the Most High King. He's a good and gracious King. So uh, that is good. That is good stuff. So Philippians chapter 1, as you know, last week we got through a whopping two verses. This week we're going we're gonna to go for it, though. We're going to get through more than two verses. So we'll pick up in verse 3 and uh, kind of continue through, uh, finishing out hopefully this chapter next week. And so uh, that's our goal. But as we get into that, I gotta, uh, want you to welcome our new member, Ashley Berry. Ashley uh, has been here for a long time, and she decided it was time to actually make it official. And she is joining the family here at Metaview. And so as one who got to hear her testimony this week, I make the motion that we receive her into our family. Do I hear a second? And all those in favor, you say, I love you. What a great morning. We do love Ashley and are just so thankful for that. And so let that spur some of you on who have been here for a long time. Hey, let's make this thing official, right? All right. So joy filled. As we think about this, we, we think about where we were last week. And we talked about how Paul is writing this epistle. He's writing from imprisonment. He's on house arrest in Rome awaiting a trial. And he's writing letters to churches. And so he writes this from a joy filled perspective. Joy Filled. How can you be joy-filled when you're in a position of being in prison or in a place of being in prison? Well, he is joy-filled because of his relationship with Jesus Christ in the advancement of the gospel, which is what we're going to read about this morning. So I want you to understand that a joy-filled life, this will be kind of our thesis for the moment, for the morning. A joy-filled life is not derived from your possessions, your popularity, or your performance. Let me stop right there. Joy-filled life is not derived from, number one, your possessions. However, we are the type of people who believe that if I just had this, oh, it would be so much better. I would have such happiness and joy if I had this. Now, as we get into the Christmas season, I guarantee you some of you are putting stuff on your list that you believe will fill you with joy. And those little things that are so shiny and beautiful and work properly for the first month that you have them, will one day not fill you with joy, but with anguish and anger and frustration, right? As you try to go out and use whatever that is that you've asked for, and it just won't crank. So, it's not possessions. It's not popularity. Oh, if people just knew me, if I didn't feel like I was alone, if I didn't feel like I was just somewhere in the shadow, but if people actually knew me, you know, we think that popularity is something we should strive for, but it, it doesn't fulfill. And neither does our performance, because we believe that if I can just do this, if I can just achieve this level, then, oh, I will be so full of joy. And I believe it was Tom Brady, after winning however many Super Bowl rings he's won, says, is this it? Is this really it? No, it's not derived from these things. It comes from a Christ-centered perspective that leads to joy-filled prayers for others and a joy-filled participation of gospel fellowship with a joy-filled life that is lived to proclaim the gospel. Joy-filled finds itself working itself out in joy-filled prayers for others. As we have heard testimonies this month, I just sit there and I'm full of joy. Look at what the Lord has done. 
Look at how he's working in the lives of those that we love and care for. Joy-filled prayers. A joy-filled participation of gospel fellowship. And a life that is lived to proclaim that gospel. Let me ask you, church, are you joy-filled this morning? I hope you are. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for your word that we're about to read. We thank you that it's a light to our dark path. We thank you that it enlightens us and that it draws us to you. And so, Lord, let it not be words on a page, but let it be your very voice speaking into our hearts. Father, open our hearts to receive your word this morning. Father, we thank you for your presence, the spirit that is within us. We thank you for the joy of our salvation. Lord, help us return to that joy over and over and over, captured by your love, captured by your grace, captured by your mercy and your forgiveness as we join together as your body. In Christ's name, amen. First one I'd like you to see is joy-filled prayers. Joy-filled prayers. Verses three and four. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. As Paul writes this, he sits there and he begins to think about this church. He begins to have all these fond memories. Oh, this is what I remember. I remember this and I remember this. And I'm just so full of joy for all of you as I'm thinking about these things. I just can't help but write it on a piece of paper that I am so, or parchment, whatever you wrote it on. You know, I'm just so excited to write this because I'm so full of joy every time I think of you. Well, what exactly is he thinking about? Now, I told you we're done with Acts, but we're not really done with Acts. So if you have your Bibles, flip over to Acts chapter 16. We ended Acts just in time for you to start reading it in your chronological Bibles, just so you could get through it again. And now I'm going to reference back to it. So Acts chapter 16, we see the church start in Philippi. We see it begin here. And so he's going to remember these things that took place. Acts 16, starting verse 12. And from there to Philippi, which was the leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she, she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Let's stop right there. So as Paul is thinking back, he is full of all these memories of joy and thanksgiving, and he thinks about a lady named Lydia who was sitting by the riverside on a Sabbath morning at a prayer meeting, who was a worshiper of God, meaning that she was more than likely there to understand the Hebrew God, but God was going to open her heart to the gospel, and she was going to find salvation that day. And when she found salvation that day, she was baptized. Not only she was baptized, but her whole household was baptized. Not only that, she said, listen, I, I sell purple cloth. I'm pretty rich. So come to my house, and let's start the church in my house. And so this is how it all began. And so as Paul thinks about this, he's like, man, what a, what a joy-filled memory of God awakening the heart of this seeker so that she would not only come into the family of God, but then she would offer her home as a place for the body of Christ to meet. Joy-filled. Let's keep going. Verse 16. 
And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul having become greatly annoyed. He's having these fond, joyful memories, right? Remember how annoyed I got at that girl? He turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Let's stop right there. Joy-filled memories. Oh, I'm reminded of that girl who was enslaved. Not only was she enslaved by people, but she was enslaved by a demonic power, and it had dominion over her. And remember how God set her free in an instant? Let me ask you, do you have joy-filled memories of people who've been set free from the bondage of sin and slavery? And so when you think about those people, you think, oh man, remember when God worked in their life? Do you remember that when God set them free from the shackles of, of demonic power in their life? He's reminded of this. Keep reading. Verse 19. But when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, they put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's stop right there. I have these joy-filled memories. You remember when we got beat and we got thrown in the prison? And not only we got thrown in the prison, they put us in shackles like in this torture chamber. Man, that was good times. <laughs> Joy-filled. I remember that. Let me thank God for that for just a second. But about midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke, and saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wow. As Paul thinks back, he thinks about it. You remember that? Oh, man, things were not going our way, were they? But I'm so full of joy because we got thrown in prison, and when we got thrown in prison, we decided to have a worship concert. And so we were singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, and we were praising God, and everybody was listening. And all of a sudden, this earthquake shook the place. And you know what God was doing? He was bringing people to salvation. Let me ask you, when you think about people, do you have fond memories of how God is working in their lives? You see, Paul, he's, he's got memories, fond memories, not of life being easy, but of people coming to Christ. 
So, joy-filled prayers, get this, are full of gospel memories. Joy-filled prayers, full of gospel memories. Let me ask you, do you have gospel memories? Do they come to your mind often? Because if they do, your heart is going to be full of joy. And your perspective is going to be Christ-centered. Look at what Christ is doing in their life. Look at what Christ is doing in their life. Look at what Christ is doing in their life. Not really concerned about his circumstances at the point that he's in or the circumstances that he was in there, but the fact that God was alive and active in people's lives. I like how Kent Hughes says it. Paul rarely thanked God for things. Paul thanked God for people. So real quick, ask God to put someone's name in your mind. Will you pray right now? Full of joy. Maybe you need to intercede for them. Maybe they are like the lady who was enslaved and enshackled. And you want to pray for redemption and salvation. Maybe you want to think about people early on in your life that you saw come to the Lord that was such a pivotal impact on your spiritual growth. Or people that were saved and came to you and said, hey, I just, I need to know how can I be saved? Maybe you, you recall a missionary trip that you went on. Whatever it is, joy-filled prayers are for people that you know have encountered the gospel. Will you pray? Father, we would ask that you would fill us with joy-filled memories of your gospel at work in the hearts of those around us. And God, we would ask today that you would place us in and around people where we can see you working and we can be filled with much joy. We thank you for the gospel and we thank you for how it impacts us and how we see churches birthed and how your body grows forth and how it grows and how it nourishes off your word. So God, we rejoice today knowing that you're alive and active in the hearts of many. God, we thank you for salvation. We pray for more salvations. We pray that people would ask us, what must I do to be saved? In Christ's name, amen. Joy-filled prayers turn into joy-filled partnerships. Joy-filled partnerships. Let's pick up there, verse 5. Because of your, there it is, partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Verse 5 there, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel. What an interesting phrase. Partnership in the gospel is the word that we have in the Greek called koinonia, which is the word we translate fellowship. Now, for us, if we were to say fellowship in the gospel, that makes a lot of sense to us. Partnership 
That has a different connotation to many of us because a fellowship is just hanging out. Partnership requires something of me. You know what I'm saying? So a fellowship is, oh, we enjoyed that. We had such a good time. We had fellowship. We were hanging out. Partnership, however, is where you partner with someone for something. And so what is fellowship really? It's a joy-filled common unity, where we get the word community, common unity of friendship and function. Common unity of friendship and function. For the church to live out a joy-filled life, it has got to be a gospel partnership. This is why the local church is so valuable. It can't be like going to the movies or to a football game where you join with others in the stands and you watch something and you have this common unity of watching or listening to something. No, this is a much deeper meaning of fellowship where we are joining together. Now, today we have the opportunity for a church fellowship. Yeah, and so let me invite you that there are some who have signed up to play flag football today, and there should be many of us bringing our camping chairs and watching them uh, live out their glory days. Yeah, or join. Yeah, we would love to see you (laughs) live out your glory days on the field as well. This will be great fellowship for me to watch you play, right? No, you're like, no, Jeff, it's a partnership. There needs to be a partnership that takes place. So what about the meal afterwards where we as the family, the church family, have a Thanksgiving meal together as a church family? You see, it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said this in Life Together. If you have coffee with a non-Christian, then you're having coffee. But if you're having coffee with a believer, we call it fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship is fellowship when it has a common unity of friendship and function. A lot of people are looking for fellowship in the church. Looking for koinonia. Looking for partnership in the gospel. So we find our friendships, we find our relationships, we find our family in the local body but we also join with one another in partnership for extending the good news of the gospel to all people. Common unity. We see this in 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. John's talking about Jesus here. The life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Joy is made complete when we find gospel fellowship. When we see ourselves in a common union with God the Father and the Son Jesus Christ, with the body of believers, with friendship and function. 
As Ray Pritchard put it, he said, true Christian fellowship means sharing the same vision and getting the gospel to the world and then investing personally to make it happen. Church, we are called to serve. We're called to join in fellowship. The word fellowship's easy. The word partnership is a little more demanding. But there's joy in gospel partnership. Verse 6, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is one of those, this is one of those coffee cup verses. One that we, oh, I remember that. That's a good verse. It makes me feel good on the inside. What's interesting about this is the word began and complete are Greek words that are used when talking about the technical terms of beginning and ending a sacrifice. So what is God doing in your life? Through sanctification, there is joy in the fact that he is beginning a good work in you, using your life as a living sacrifice, and that he will bring that to completion one day as you give your life for Christ because he is your life. God is at work within you. That brings joy a joy-filled life is one being offered to the Lord as a sacrifice of praise from beginning to end. It's a perspective. It's a sacrificed life of what we talked about last week of being a slave. A slave of Christ. A sacrificed life of holiness as a saint in Christ. That he is at work in me. And a sacrificed life of gospel partnerships as a servant with friendship and function in the body of Christ. So how do we have this joy? And what will rob us of this joy? Tony Marita put it this way, what will rob you of this type of joy? If you're Christless, you won't find joy. There's nothing in this world that can provide the joy that Jesus Christ provides. You won't find it. If you are prayerless and ungrateful, you won't find joy. If you don't have gospel partnerships, you won't have joy. If you don't have assurance of salvation, you won't have joy. If you don't have affectionate relationships, you won't have joy. So let us look to Jesus, who went to the cross for us, bearing our sin and punishment so that we may be reconciled to God and enjoy him forever. And I would say, in fellowship. Last one I want you to see this morning is joy-filled proclamation. A joy-filled proclamation, picking up verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice." Paul is rejoicing because the gospel is advancing. Again, Paul's not looking at his circumstances. He's not looking at his situation. He's not 
comparing himself to others, well, here I am, chained to a prisoner all the time. They're not. They're out there. They're getting to do what they want to do. Look at what they got. He's not comparing himself. He's thinking about the gospel advancement. Comparison, as we've heard, is the killer of joy. A lot of times we begin to compare ourselves to others. And it robs us of the joy that we have in Christ. Paul is focused, is not focused on comparing his life to others. He's focused on commissioning his life to Christ. I think if we could all take this perspective, we would find joy-filled hearts. My life is not concerned with comparing myself to others. What they have, what they do, what they achieve, what their position is. My life is focused on commissioning it to Christ for the proclamation of his gospel. Paul was joy-filled because his life was serving as a life that was proclaiming the gospel. And it was contagious. More and more people were beginning to share the word of God because of his imprisonment. It says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What a unique perspective Paul has. What has happened to me? Well, what has happened to him? Well, there would have been a riot. There would have been two years of imprisonment in Caesarea. There would have been an appeal to Caesar. There would have been a threat on his life. There would have been a shipwreck on his way to Rome. He would now sit in house arrest, awaiting a trial. Now he's shackled to different guards over and over and over. And his perspective is, I'm so full of joy. Listen to how the gospel's advancing. Joy-filled perspective. A joy-filled perspective. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, can I, put, can I put it to you this way? What has happened to you to advance the gospel? What has God, where has God placed you? Around which people do you feel shackled to? Where has God placed you to advance the gospel? As even if we've heard a story, what has happened in your life that is being used to advance the gospel? We all have a story to tell. We all have the gospel responsibility of proclaiming. He said, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Christ is proclaimed. This section isn't about false teachers, as many might think. This section is about people who are preaching Christ, but they're doing it with a motive of hurting Paul. And he's like, even if it hurts me, I have joy because the gospel is advancing. Even if this is done in a way that hurts me, I'm full of joy because I know that people are hearing the truth, whether in pretense or in truth. All that matters is that they're hearing the gospel. So, every believer is a proclaimer of Christ. Every single one of us who's a believer. How we preach, though, 
and proclaim Christ has everything to do with our motivation. What's your motivation? Is it joy-filled? Or is it in pretense? Is it in truth? Are you a joy-filled proclaimer of Christ? Because when we see that what's important is the advancement of the gospel, and then when we remember that we've seen the advancement of the gospel, and we partner with the church to proclaim the gospel, we will, have, we will have hearts that are full of joy. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of Paul. And we thank you for your church that you've established, that you've called us into gospel partnerships. Father, as we respond, we pray that we would respond with thanksgiving and joy in our hearts, remembering what you've done in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Father, we would pray for opportunities this week to advance the gospel based on the situations that you've placed us in and the circumstances we find ourselves in. Father, help us to surrender our lives to you in a way where you will begin a good work and begin it to bring it to completion. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?